God bless you, church. Amen. Let's all stand up. We're going to read the word. We're going to do a little old school style today. Let's stand up, open the Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes is a book in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Amen. My wife always says, man, you just went straight into it, John. And yeah, that, that, I like to do that. I, there's not too much that we could fuss about and fancy words and jokes before preaching. This is the word of God, and we're here to have church. We're here to hear from God, and so we can't waste time in the house of God. And so this is a place of growth. I pray that you would remain in a process of growth, in a process of being um, sharpened here in this place. And so if it has pleased God for you to be here today, then God has a word for you today. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says this. Please focus. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. Wow, the Holy Spirit is so heavy in this place. Holy Spirit, have your way today. We honor your presence in this place, Holy Spirit. We know you're here and we don't want to take you for granted. We don't want to miss this moment. God, there is so much weight to your word. Your word says that Your word is like a double-edged sword. It cuts going in and coming out. It pierces so deep. It even reaches the marrow of our bones, God. So even as we read this portion of scripture and whatever we're going to share today, God, pierce into the deepest parts of our lives. Hallelujah. A time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. Verse 4, a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time of war, and a time of peace. Lord, this is your word. I pray that no one would look at me even as I speak, even though I'm standing up front, God, that your Holy Spirit would be all that they would see. I pray that this would be a moment that we would, that you would examine our hearts, God, that this would be a moment in the next few minutes that we're going to be sharing, God, that it would be a time of reflection. You've called us out of our regularly scheduled program, God, into this house, into this place. And so I pray that you would meet your people here. Speak to me and as much as you speak to anyone else in this place. And we're thankful for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Got a picture I want to show, not my picture. One word that describes this picture, 
Seasons. That's right. So Pastor Gabe just shared, yeah, football season is here. My favorite season is here, not football season. It's the fall. I love the fall. How many love the fall season? So I love the fall season for a few reasons. Crispy air, not too humid, not too cold. I could go out and, you know, I could throw a jacket on maybe at night, maybe early in the morning, but I could wear a T-shirt too during the day. And you could just really be outside and enjoy the weather. It just feels good. September is my favorite month. I wasn't born in September, but it's my favorite month because the weather is just right. But you could tell when September comes that the season is changing. And I'm going to piggyback off what Pastor Gabe just shared for the men. I'm a man, so I could speak to men. We have to be aware of the season that we are in. In this place, as we sit here, in this house, if you are sitting here today, this goes to the women as well, but I'm talking to the men, the head, the priests of the homes. We cannot miss the season that we're in. God is challenging us to be spiritual men and women of God, to sense the times, to feel the crispiness in the air, that something is changing, that something is happening There is a visitation of the Holy Spirit. Pastors have been preaching this since May. Week after week after week. And all I've been sensing, God put in my heart in the month of June, seasons. Something different going on. Some of us quite can't put our finger on it. We don't know how to explain this and that's okay. God doesn't require us to explain the things he does. He, re- he just requires us to trust in what he does. Amen? Because he's God and we're not. I can't stand here and think I could interpret every single thing that God does. No. I don't have all the answers. No. All I have is the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. That's what you and I have to be able to understand the will of God. But he reveals his will in time and not our time In his time, there is a time and a season for everything. We just read a vast list of the things in life, time to be born, a time to die, a time to reap, and a time to let go. There's so many things that we go through in life. And I want to tell you something, regardless of how much this walk is spiritual, God is very much aware of the things that you go through every single day of your life. He is not absent from those moments that we go through in life. A season is a portion of time. It's not a one-time event. And so we need to know how to differentiate when we are in a season. There are seasons that we call upon our lives ourselves. And there are seasons that we constantly repeat and repeat and repeat because we cannot understand what God is doing, even though he wants to show himself in a specific season in our life. But there are other seasons in our life that we go through that we cannot expect, that we cannot tell. We know these four seasons will happen, but the seasons of life are not ones that you could just know and see God's agenda over your life and know what will happen and when it will happen. Something about the fall. I'm a photographer. I'm a, uh, 
I would say a hobbyist or, or um, enthusiast. I don't do it as a profession. I just enjoy photography. I enjoy capturing moments. I enjoy seeing what God does in the sky every single day. Sunrises, sunsets, the clouds, and I just love to capture it. People don't get my obsession with it, and that's okay. God has given me that create, creative passion to just capture what I see. No sky is ever the same. The sun rises and the sun sets every single day, but no sky is ever the same. We know the four seasons, winter, spring, summer, fall. We know them. We know they're coming. But no season is ever the same. This tree in the corner on the bottom right-hand side might be orange, but the tree next to it might be yellow. The tree after that might be red. The tree after that might still be green. Same season, different trees. Different experiences in the same season. Sometimes we're so caught up in our schedule and our plans and and our goals and our things and God is showing us, look at the seasons, look at how times change. There are things I want to show you in your life that if you were to continue life the way you plan it to be, you will never get to know me, you will never get to know my plan for your life. How many people have trusted their lives in the hands of God? You have to prove it by how you respond in the seasons. It's very easy to say amen. It's very easy to call ourselves a Christian and carry a title. But God will test every single one of us at some point in our life and put our faith in the fire to see what comes out. We will all go through a process of purification. Life is not easy. Being a Christian is not all peachy and rosy. It's the hardest thing we could do, but it's the greatest thing we could do. It's the most hopeful and joyous life to be a believer because we know in a life with so many variables and with so many seasons and with so many unplanned circumstances, there is a God that knows all things. Amen. I got a lot to share. I don't think I'm going to share it all. We're going to go through the word. I love going through the word. That's the only thing that holds weight. Amen. But I wanted to give this introduction so we're all in the same place, in the same mindset. All right? Seasons. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9. You could write these down. I don't want you to be so caught up in trying to find every single scripture um, that you miss the message Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9, something simple but so deep. It says, what has been, what will be, is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new that you will do today that has never been done before. In the actions of humans. I'm not talking about technology and, 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 and the year we're in. I'm talking about in our human behavior. In the seasons that we're in, there is nothing that will happen to our lives that hasn't happened to someone else already. And so because of that reality, according to what scripture says here, God already knows how to intervene in the midst of your season. God knows what to give you and how to give you the strength to be able to survive and learn from that season. He says it in his word. You know, 
Just because you change location doesn't mean that you're changing your season. Some people run away and move away from Allentown because nothing's really going on for me in Allentown. And so I'm going to step out. And you will realize that if you are out of God's will, the same season you try to run away from will follow you wherever you go because God is dealing with you outside of location. He's dealing with your life. Think about it like this. On January 31st, on on December 31st, it's the last day of our calendar year, but nothing really changes in temperature and weather and in the season on January 1st. It's still as cold, it's still winter, and you still feel like there's a long time ahead till the warmth comes and the nice fun months come. Well, some people are obsessed with winter. I don't get it, but that's, that's you guys. Everybody's different. That's fine. Okay? Just because dates change doesn't mean that God is done with a season. Sometimes we want to manipulate God to do things in our time, in our way, or by this date. That's not how God works all the time. Sometimes we become nomads in life trying to figure things out on our own with no direction, no wisdom. There are seasons that will be in a specific place. There are seasons that will be with specific people in it. There are windows of opportunity and seasons that we must be aware of that may never return again in your life. There are times with family, times with friends, times with coworkers, whether it's by choice or not. And those moments might be ended by a move. They might be ended by a change of job. They might be ended by neglecting relationships. And they also might be ended by death. How many times do we think about people that are no longer in our lives and we live with regrets? I wish they were still around. I would have done things so much differently. I would have taken advantage of the moments of the time I had with them. And it doesn't have to mean that they're no longer alive, but you are so separated from location. You no longer have that access of proximity that you used to have. Some of you may be thinking about a person that was highly influential in your life, whether it was a family member, a coworker, a mentor that spoke into your life and taught you things that you've kept for your whole life. And you always remember that season and you will never forget what you learned. And you value that. And if you were able to receive, amen, God allowed that season. And you were able to take advantage. But there's sometimes we live with regrets, wishing that we had that access. So I want to encourage you, be very much aware of the season you're in. There are people, there are places that God might have you in that he wants to show you or teach you or may want you to speak into or have some type of influence in while you are in that season, we also have a role to play. It is very selfish to live life, to think that every season is made for us. Sometimes we are made for a season in someone's life. You know, there's many preachings out there or mainstream preaching because the reason I call it mainstream or it's because it's the most tickling to the ears. You will be, uh, 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 it's not surprising, but the truth is that the most popular messages, the most popular 
preachings are the ones that make people feel good. Jesus said about the end times, if the, if the last days were not cut short, no one would be saved. Even the elect are going to be deceived in the last days because they've sold out the truth of the gospel for a watered-down gospel that is tickling to the ears. And it's just pleasant to hear because it doesn't challenge you to grow. It doesn't challenge your soul. It's appealing and it's seeker-friendly and it just welcomes people to not just come as they are, but stay as they are. God loves the sinner but hates the sin. He always did and he always will. Yes, we are to do things in love, but let's be aware. We serve the same God that is unchanging, regardless of what culture says, regardless of what mainstream says, regardless of what the media says, social media, or people's opinions. None of that holds weight in terms of what God has already established. Thank you. Amen. We have one person that agrees. And so a lot of times you might hear people try to encourage you and say, there's a new season coming, amen? Because that's great to hear. Oh, man, I'm stuck in this rut. My life ain't going anywhere. I need a change. Sorry, I said ain't. I'm from Brooklyn. Sometimes that comes out. My life isn't going anywhere. I'm stuck. But the preacher just said there's a new season coming. Maybe there's not a new season coming. Maybe God will not promote your season or exit you out from the season until you learn what he wants to teach you where you are. And God does do new things. His mercies are new each and every day. And that should be enough. Sometimes the expectations that we have out of life are as if we deserve every great thing. Now we are inheritors of what is of the kingdom of God because we have been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We are ambassadors, yes. But let's not forget or take for granted our very own salvation. Valuable thing. There's a reason why we're instructed to guard our salvation with fear and trembling. Revere the reality that unless it had been for Jesus Christ, we would be damned and going to hell with no hope because there is nothing that we could do out of our own human effort that will ever be able to repay the price of sin, which is death. And so we, lift, we need to live grateful and thankful. And so I don't know what season you might be in, but I wouldn't rush out of it too quick until I know or I have the understanding of why. Now, you may not always know why you go through a season. And one day in life, years later, you will be able to see. Because God will reveal it. And sometimes the things you go through in your life in a season is just for God to glorify himself to you. And sometimes your testimony will bless so many more people than you would have ever thought. But God has to take you through the full process in order for you to understand that. It might feel that there are seasons that God is not speaking because he's busy doing. We love to get talked to. It's easy to come and preach and talk. And it's, 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 this is simple, this sitting down and hearing. That's the most simplest part of being a Christian. The toughest thing is to walk and live this out and trust it. 
We got to trust that God knows every single one of our days and seasons. Psalm 139, verse 16 says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every single one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So before any day of our life had come to pass, it's already been written in God's book. He is not exempt from any single day, any single moment, any single experience that we go through in life. Amen? I want to change a mindset. We are not entitled to anything. God doesn't owe us anything. He doesn't owe you ministry. He doesn't owe you a position. He doesn't owe you a house. He doesn't owe you kids. He doesn't owe you money. There's nothing that God owes us. Why doesn't God bless me? God doesn't really owe you. If he pleases, if it pleases him to bless you, he will. And if he doesn't, then he has a reason why. Sometimes we want a greater thing and we can't even manage what he has already given us. I love what Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2 says. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2, it says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. In some versions, it says the Lord weighs the motives. We could fool ourselves to think that we're good people. We could fool ourselves to think that our way is good and just. And we say we've prayed about things that we really haven't prayed for. Maybe you prayed and God hasn't answered or given you the okay, but we just say we told God, I told God what I want to do, and so he should bless what I just told him about. And we move forward. But the Lord is the one that knows the motives. Proverbs 21 verse 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. We could say things with our Lips, we could think things in our mind, but God knows the weight of really what is in your heart, what you love the most. God knows it all. There is nothing that is hidden from God. doesn't matter what we say. Our words will never fool God. He knows our motives. And so when we worship and we pray, that should be our prayer. God, examine my heart, Holy Spirit. Reveal to me the areas that I have even fooled myself to believe that I'm good in. Take out any self-righteousness. We just spoke about this on Wednesday. Take out any self-righteous, the act to think that I could do things on my own to make myself good. As if you're competing with the death of Jesus Christ. As if that wasn't enough. Nothing we could ever do. It is by grace that we have been saved. There is nothing we could ever do to measure up to the great sacrifice and life that Christ lived. A sinless, blameless life took the sin of the world. He left heaven to do this for you and I. Questioning in the time of season, sometimes they come out of a place of lack of faith. Sometimes they come out of a place of not knowing God. Or it comes out of a place of lacking an experience with God. 
I was talking to my mom about this a few days ago. And she said, I've gone through many things in my life that God has shown himself and I didn't understand and I've wrestled with God. But in, in one time I went through a trial and it felt so impossible to go through and the Holy Spirit reminded me, if God did it before, why wouldn't he do it again? Do you know your father? Is he your father? Is he your Lord? And if he is not, then that might be the very reason you might find yourself in the season that you're in because he wants to reveal himself to you as your Lord, your father. Amen. Lewis, what's my favorite book right now? J-O-B. Book of Job. Open up the book of Job. I don't really hear many Job preachings. It's probably the most unpleasant book to read. Ecclesiastes is probably one of the most depressing books to read because everything is meaningless in life. Uh, But Job is a real uh, man. Job. J-O-B, not Job, Job, in the Old Testament. So I'm going to skim. There's about 42 chapters in this book. We're going to read 40 chapters today. Just kidding. You might. You could go home and do that. We're going to skim through this real quick. All right? Like a stone throwing the water. We're going to go real quick through this. You know, God brought me to Job about a year ago. We were teaching a class on spiritual maturity. And we went through this and it rocked our world. It took a lot of our religious way of thinking and just threw it out the window. It took a lot of self-righteousness, threw it out the window. And we're going to see why. Job chapter 1 verse 8, it says this. So Satan, I want you to know this, Satan... And the sons of God, according to the way chapter one describes it, were roaming and they came to the presence of God. And God questioned Satan, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going through the earth, I'm doing my thing, right? And Job chapter one, verse eight says, then the Lord said to Satan, well, have you considered my servant Job? Listen to the words, how he describes him. There is none like him on the earth. He is a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. In other versions of the Bible, it describes Job as a perfect man. Blameless in all of his ways. Do you think he deserves a desert season? Do you think Job deserves a man that God described as perfect and blameless and one who shuns evil? Do you think Job deserved to be tested? How many people say yes? But to our human standards, we might say no. That's why only two people raise their hand right now. Because it's not fair. Why would God test a man who he describes? He knows him personally very well. Perfect and blameless in all of his ways. So Satan said to the Lord, because you know Satan is Satan. He says to the Lord in verse 9, does Job... Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made it a hedge? Have you not protected around him, around his household, and around all that is on every side? Have you blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the land? But now stretch your hand and touch all that he has, and surely he will curse you to your face. 
He said, basically, because you haven't tested him, no wonder he doesn't, he's blameless. He hasn't gone through anything. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. You can touch anything he has, don't touch him. Chapter two, turn the page or hit the arrow to the next chapter. Job chapter two, verse four. So Satan answered the Lord because he called him back. He said, Satan, come here. Consider my servant Job. He's blameless in all his ways. Repeats the same thing. Satan replies, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and surely he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hands, but spare his life. So you could touch him physically, but you can't take away his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with, a painful, with painful boils, sores, from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd with, with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. And he said to her, you speak as one who is a foolish woman. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Even when he was touched physically, he said, how is it that I could only accept God's goodness and not accept the adversities and the trials? But That's only chapter two. You want to go to chapter three? Still, we're in church, right? That's what we do. <laughs> Just real quick. After Job opened his mouth and he cursed the day of his birth, and Job spoke and said, may the day perish on which I was born. He cursed the day that he was born. That's why some say that he might have been born on February 30th. Church humor. Church dad jokes. Write it down if you thought it was funny. May the day perish on which I was born and the night in which it was said, a male child is conceived and may that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. He's saying all these things like, man, I wish I had never existed. Go to chapter seven. What else did he say? I mean, he's going through it. And I want, as you read this, I want you to think, have I ever said something along these lines before in my trial, in my desert, in my situation? Chapter seven, is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? And are not his days also like the days of a hired man, like a servant who earnestly desires shade and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages? So I have been allotted months of futility and worrisome nights have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be ended? For I have had my fill of tossing till dawn. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. 
The eye of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. As a cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up, and he shall never return to his house, nor shall his place known him anymore. A place of anguish. He couldn't sleep. Anxiety. Uh, he couldn't wait for the morning to come up, so he just wouldn't be able to think. Or I, I, It's just so much Anguish. Has anybody ever gone through these type of moments in their life? Chapter 9. Keep going, keep going. This is what Job says. Truly I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him. One time out of a thousand, God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? He's going through a battle in his mind, in his walk with God. He knew God. He had received goodness from God, and then he's tested and tried. He lost everything. His family died. His riches were lost. His, his whole body is just in boils. He's going through it. He would have rather died. He cursed the day he was born. But then in his mind, he's also thinking, well, I know God. And I know that I can't contend against him. And I know that there's nothing, my strength is nothing compared to his, so what's the point? Anybody ever felt like that? You know, God answers Job. This is not just a Job whining or or, going through it type of thing. Chapter 40. All the way to chapter 40. He starts answering, I believe, from chapter 38. But I like what chapter 40 says. And this is the heart of the message here. When I read this, this was it. Because I believe God has brought us here to realign our perspective on who God is. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we try to mold God to what best fits our life. God is unchangeable and immovable. He is who he is. He said, I am the great I am. We do not determine who God is. God stands alone. He doesn't need us, but created us to have relationship with him. So he desires to have relationship with us. So much so that he gave his son for us. So much so that he, his son ascended to sit at the right hand of the father to intercede for us. But he left his Holy Spirit with us. The one who which we are in season with today as a church listen to what God says moreover the Lord answered Job and said shall the one who contends with the almighty correct him he who rebukes God let him answer it then Job answered behold I am vile what shall I answer you I lay my hand over my mouth once I have spoken but I will not answer yes twice I will proceed no further he's kind of like I'm not going to say anything else now All right, sorry, God. And then God says, no. Now prepare yourself like a man in verse 7. I will question you and you will answer me. Would you indeed annul my judgment? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Will you blame God? Will you tell God that he's not fair as if you are a greater judge than he ever is? A righteous God, a sovereign God that knows all things?
Verse 9, have you an arm like God? Or can you thunder with a voice like his? Then adorn yourself with majesty and splendor and array yourself with glory and beauty. Disperse the rage of your wrath. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him. Look on everyone who is proud and bring him low. Tread down the wicked in their place. Hide them in the dust together. Bind their faces in hidden darkness. Then also, then I will also confess to you that your own right hand can save you. He's like, man, you, you, what are you doing? You're coming to my presence and questioning me? You think you know what's better for your life than I do? You dare call me unjust as a God? When I am the greatest judge, the creator of all things, I breathe life into you and I can take it away? Chapter 42, here's a conclusion, guys, of this Job story. Not the message, we're going to be here another hour. Chapter 42, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too powerful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you, and you shall answer me. But I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear. I have heard of God. But now my eyes see you. Therefore, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. He had an experience with God because all of his life, all he had ever done was hear of God, but now he has seen God. I want to encourage you that God is also in the business of restoration. Whatever he takes away, he doesn't just, it's a poor phrase to say, but he doesn't do things just to screw you over and that's it, done. Just garbage. Oh, that too bad, tough. Well, keep it moving. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. Talked a lot about God, a lot about religion, a lot about the Bible. I said, all that is here. But there's hurts and pains and wounds and things that you've gone through that you still don't understand. And you will not find the answer anywhere unless you surrender your life fully to God and let God deal with every single one of those experiences and pains and hurts and scars because only he can heal. He can restore, and he will give you the understanding of why he's allowed what he's allowed. What he purposes out to do will come to completion. And so we, we try to find answers, and we try to cover up, but God doesn't cover up things because nothing can be hidden from God. Amen? And you can read the rest. God restored three times more than what he had. Gave him everything back except that nagging wife. I could call her nagging. She wasn't a child of God. 
My wife is not nagging. Amen. I'm going to go through this quick because I want to wrap this up. Is God speaking today? Amen. There are seasons that we cause on ourselves. Proverbs 21.5, listen carefully. The plans of the diligent leave surely to plenty. Some versions say the plans of the wise, but those of everyone who is hasty, who is rushed, who is unwise, will surely lead to poverty. Some people are stuck in a poverty mindset and repeat this season over and over. And God wants to teach you some wisdom. It is in the word. The word of God will teach us how to manage outside of the situations that maybe the enemy for many years through generations has kept us in bondage of. Christ came to break the bondage and make us new. And if he's going to make you new, it's not just spiritually new. It's going to impact every facet of your life. But we have to give ourselves to the process. It's very easy to answer to a call here, but it's very hard to live out the process of him molding and changing. If he is Lord, then he is Lord. If I have a landlord in a house that I, at a place that I rent, and he wants to come in the apartment and fix something, he knows the reason I can't question him. He is the landlord. No, no, this and that. I don't own that property. If he says, I need the property at the end of the lease, then you're getting out because your time is up. And if God is Lord, then he is Lord. And we've surrendered our life. He owns our life. He owns our days. Amen. Proverbs 10, 14, wise people store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. What is in the abundance of your words on a daily basis? Are they curses? Are they nonsense? Are they foolish things? Are they complaining? Are they criticisms? What is in your mouth? What is the content of your heart? Jesus said, it's not what goes in the mouth of a man that defiles him, but it's what comes out of his mouth. Think about that. Proverbs 14, 16 says, one who is wise is cautious and turns away from evil, but a fool is reckless and careless. How many are tired of recklessness and carelessness in their life? It's time to wise up in God. Jeremiah 17, 5. Write this one down. You got to read this. Thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 17, 5. Thus says the Lord, cursed is a man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and in an inhabited salt land. Cursed is the man who trusts in another man, who makes the flesh, his flesh strength. I know people personally that have turned away from God, that have walked away from God. Some even sit in church. And some don't show up at all. But their heart is turned away from God and they are going through it. Pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. You made a decision, your decision to reject, blatantly reject God. You're living this life out. And some of us have become handicapped to living in a season that God did not make permanent in our life. 
He wants to make us straight. He wants to lift us up on wings like, uh, on wings like eagles. He wants to soar in this walk of faith. God is not in the business of crippling us. He wants to restore us to be fully whole in Jesus Christ. Amen? I want you to write this down. I'm not going to talk about this. I'm not going to go in this. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Sometimes we think that a wilderness or a desert place is bad. But it might be the very place that God needs to bring you to glorify himself or get your attention. Because in any other place that he sought you in or found you in before, there was too many distractions. Why do you think Jesus needed to go away to the wilderness to seek his father? 40 days and 40 nights he's fasting. And then on top of that, Satan comes to tempt him. Three times he tempts him, but Jesus glorifies God. Three times with scripture, quotes scripture in Satan's face. Satan had to flee. And the Bible says that angels came at the help of Jesus. Because physically he was wasted, but spiritually he was so strong. And so sometimes it's in the wilderness that God will spiritually prepare you for the call and the purpose that he has for your life. Amen? Read it, Matthew chapter 4. Elijah on Mount Horeb. 1 Kings chapter 19, I want you to write this down. I'm giving you a quick, quick recap. In chapter 18, he just had a showdown with false prophets that bowed down to Baal, Baal, however you want to say it, okay? And he mocked them, huge showdown. Elijah was a very bold prophet. Um, Jezebel was the queen at the time. Ahab was the king. And she was very, very evil, okay? And in this showdown, basically like these sorcerers, magicians, prophets, whatever, they try to call on their God. And he's like, call, maybe he's sleeping. Call louder, Nothing happened. And when Elijah called on the Lord, fire came to burn that altar. There was a famine in the land. There was a time that they were going through. And then the Bible describes that they start seeing a cloud form from a distance. And then darkness covered the land and a heavy rain came. That's chapter 18. In chapter 19, Ahab goes and tells Jezebel, Elijah just got rid of all our prophets. This is what he's doing. And she said, well, if he did this to our prophets, then we're going to have to do it to him. And called for his death. So sometimes God will be using you. You might feel that things are too good in God for him to test you or to move you out of a great place of ministry or a great season of your life. I mean, he just had a great victory in the Lord, right? Amen. So what happens in chapter 19 Verse 3, when he hears that they're after to kill him, it says he was afraid and he arose and he ran for his life to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. He just had a showdown, and God proved himself in front of all these false prophets, and now they're after his life, and he's running away from man after what God just did. So he exits the place where God had called him to be a prophet. 
and he runs into the wilderness. The Bible says it's about a day's journey into the wilderness in verse four. He sits down under a broom tree that he might, and then he says this to the Lord. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life for I am no better than my father's in verse nine. Then he came to a cave and he lodged in it and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? God spoke to him in the wilderness. He says, what are you doing here? Like, did you not see what I just did? All of a sudden, from one chapter to the next, you lack faith. I'm sure back then it wasn't a chapter. This was really happening in his life. What are you doing here? He sends him back to bless the, the future king of Israel. And he also told him, He says there's, there's, there's a remnant. There's about 7,000 that haven't bowed down to, bow, to Baal that I am keeping for myself. You're not the only one. Elijah thought he was the only one. He ran for his life. I was the only prophet that stood up for you. It's not about you, Elijah. I have my people that haven't bowed down either. This all happened in the wilderness. Sometimes we've run to the wilderness to run away from a reality or a danger And God calls you and says, I don't want you in the wilderness. And so how many times do we isolate ourselves? How many times do we get away from the body? And we think that this is just where God has me right now. I hate it when Christians, how you doing? Oh, you know, God has me in a season right now. I'm in a time of transition. In my mind, you're being disobedient to God's will for your life. Because there's always something that God is doing. In my, I'm talking about in my experience. Many people that I've asked, how are you doing? Ah, oh, well, you know, they don't have an answer. They say, oh, Lord has me in the transition. Transition from what? Did you know where you're coming from? Coming out of? Where are you going to? No idea? You're lost? What do you know? Talk to me about God. What has God done lately? What's the last thing God did in your life? Transition. Exodus chapter 3, write this down for yourself. Moses, a murderer, flees into the wilderness. He's with his father-in-law, Jethro. And all of a sudden, he comes across a burning bush. Where? Where was this burning bush? In the, in the where? Wilderness, right? And God speaks to him. He says, take your sandals off because where you're coming in is holy ground. It wasn't holy ground before. It was holy ground when God showed up. Where the presence of God is, that is a holy place. And so God could show up in your wilderness, in your desert, and make it a holy place. He could give you a God moment right then and there. In a place of dryness, in a place that's arid, that, that we feel that we don't understand, God could just show up and it's just a holy place. And that's where God gave him his life calling. I'm going to do this with the people of Israel. You're going to go, but I have a stuttering problem. Well, I'm going to send your brother Aaron. He'll speak for you. But you're the man to do it. Go. That was a really fast summary. Amen. So take this. Study the word. All right. Last thing I want to share. <clears throat> I got 15, 35 minutes left. Last thing I want to share. 
when we go through seasons, this is the same tree in the corner here. This is in a park in Delaware, Jersey. Uh, Delaware, Jersey. Dover, New Jersey, excuse me. Um, in order for trees to grow that big, they got to be there for a few years. And I'm sure they have seen many, many seasons. And they're beautiful in every single one. The only one that they're not growing is in the winter, but that's the time for them to restore themselves, right? Because spring comes and they got to start that process all over again. And that's how we are as believers. We go through seasons and we go through changes. Okay, but look at what the, God, the, the word of God says in Jeremiah chapter 17, a few verses past what we had just finished reading about those who are cursed that trust in man. Verse seven says this, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. I'll read that last part again. In in these seasons of heat, of pressure, the most uncomfortable seasons, that tree that is planted by the streams of living water where its roots are, does not cease to bear fruit. In your trial, in your desert, in your wilderness, does your life continue to bear fruit? If the Bible says it's possible, then to me it's possible. If if I believe this is God's word, then I take it to be true, 100%. It doesn't make human logical sense. That when you're going through a trial or a problem or a situation that you can't understand, that you could continuously bear fruit as a believer, that you could still bless other people, that you could still encourage someone even though you're going through something that you don't understand, that you could still quote the word of God because the word of God will always be his word. God's word does not change according to our experience, according to our trial. There's some people I know, and I was telling my wife, I don't get it when Christians that have been serving God for years don't want to hear encouraging words of God because they tell me that that's religious talk. I don't need to hear religious talk right now. But it's the word of God. That's the only truth you need right now. That's the only truth that's going to sustain you right now. Learn the word of God. Take hold of the word of God. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in season. His leaves do not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are like the chaff, the wind that drives away. You are my brothers and sisters. I'm talking to rivers of life right now. I don't want to see any of you. Pastors don't want to see any of you. None of us that are really brothers and sisters want to see any of us wash, be washed away or wiped away by a wind or a storm. I was talking to Josh yesterday. The palm tree is made to bend. So I coolly told me, fun fact, I don't know if you read this on a Snapple cap or, 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 or something, I don't know what it was, but he said, underground, these palms' roots are intertwined with the palm next to it, and not, most of the time when you see palm trees, they're always in a line because they're surviving off each other. 
But that's another message. I'll leave that for Josh. You can preach that some other time. Think about that concept. You're not meant to withstand these storms alone. There's palm trees in the Bahamas that are still there. A lot of destruction this past week. And those palm trees still. And once the weather gets better and the winds cease, they come right back into place. Beautiful for you to go vacation and hang out with. Still blessing. Still fulfilling its purpose. Still standing. Amen? Amen. Jesus describes himself as the vine... And we are the branches, and apart from him, we can do nothing. John chapter 15. That's our source. Look what happens when Jesus enters in a season. John the Baptist quoted this in in Isaiah 40, chapter uh, verse 3 to 5, says this. Isaiah 40, verse 3 to 5. A voice is calling, clear the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert for a highway of God. Let every valley be lifted up and every mountain be made low. And let the rough ground become plain. And let the rugged terrain a broad valley. And let the glory of the Lord be revealed. And all flesh will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. What happens when Jesus enters? Every hill bows down. There is a way that is made in a place of wilderness that you ever seen a picture of a desert, a movie of a desert, or been in a desert? It seems like there is no end. But when Jesus comes in, he makes a crooked path straight. Go read the Gospels and see what happened in the lives of people that lived for years with diseases and sicknesses and demon-possessed or had a trade for years. They were fishermen or tax collectors, but when Jesus stepped in, their season changed forever. I want to preach a second preaching right now just on that topic. I do. I got the notes. You say amen one more time, I'll do it. I won't have a voice. But there's so much that happens when Jesus steps in. So today as a church, we are in a season of a visitation of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Jay's mentioned this, Pastor Margie's mentioned this, is the difference between the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which we have in our lives, and a visitation of the Holy Spirit. I want you to remember something. I don't know if you were paying attention or not, but on July 21st, on Sunday, July 21st, Pastor Jay was preaching, and the Holy Spirit, God gave a prophetic word to this church. Here's what he said. This is your season, says the Lord. You've ignored others. I am slow to anger. Seasons speak of opportunities, and this is your season. What you do with my spirit, in my spirit, will determine the salvation of many souls. The lives of many weigh in the balance. That's a word that God gave specifically to this house, July 21st. And so we cannot miss this opportune moment. Pastor Jay was sharing with a few of us leaders, this is not things that were common and acceptable in the past have to change. In your life, there might have been sins that we entertained that we can entertain no more. There is no game to be playing right now. God's not playing that game. Holy Spirit is in this not just in this place, he's visiting 
us as a body. When we leave, we take that. We could be experiencing this and walking in this. I prayed right before service with Gabe. He's about to lead worship. I'm going to preach, Holy Spirit, the same spirit. Keep us locked. All of us, as we serve, as we do, as we attend, whatever we do in the kingdom of God, Holy Spirit, keep us locked together. Not everyone will say amen. Not everyone will respond. The saddest thing to me is the reality that not everyone in this room will be aware of the season and take it seriously. It's not a scary thing, but it is a serious thing. If we fear it, it's because we revere God. We have reverence to God, not because we're scared. God wants us to draw into his presence. The Bible calls us to come boldly before the presence of God. But what will be the result of people that obey? What will be the result of a people of God that when the spirit comes, God already spoke, the lives, the souls of many weigh in the balance according to how we respond. The salvation of our community, the salvation of our families, the salvation of our coworkers. There is a window of opportunity that these people exist in our lives that may never come again. And because we were entertained by our human seasons and sports seasons and, 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 and just life as usual, we miss it. God forbid we miss it. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Thank you that you've revealed yourself through your word. I pray across this room right now that you would examine our hearts. This is a moment of reflection. There are seasons that we've chose to deliberately, continuously live in because that's all we've been used to our whole lives. And we know that it's not your will for us to remain there. You don't want us walking in a desert for 40 years just because we're disobedient people. There is a promised land ahead. There is a purpose that awaits us, whether it be serving in this church or serving every single day, everybody that we encounter. I pray that we would be aligned to the will of God, that we would be aligned with the heart of Christ, that you would fill us with compassion, that we would not miss opportunities, moments, and seasons.